Hey, we're going to be picking right back up where we left off last week. If you were with us, you know we started a brand new book, the book of Hebrews. So make sure you have a Bible in hand and open up to Hebrews chapter 1. We'll be picking back up in verse 4 where we left off. We only got through three verses and, of course, the introduction of the book. And so that takes, obviously, time to cover but we got through three verses. Today we'll take the rest of chapter one, uh, the exalted son. We ended last week with just those three verses in chapter one, and we focused and we saw that they were short verses, but we studied and focused on the seven traits that we saw of who Jesus Christ is, the great savior, the, the one who is superior to all, and that is Jesus Christ the Son of God. We saw in verse 2, to draw your attention to verse 2, we saw that he, was heir, he is heir. We see that he was the creator. We saw that he was the brightness of God's glory. We saw that he is the expressed image of the Father. We see that he's the sustainer of, uh, by the word of his power. He, his power, his word, his, his voice keeps things in order of the universe. We saw that he's a purifier of your sins. If you have not given your life to Jesus Christ, the only one that can purify you to forgive you of your sins and to give you eternal life is Jesus Christ, and he is the only one that can do that. That's why we surrender our life to the great Savior. We also saw there in one of his characteristics that he rules and he sits at the right hand of the majesty on high. So not only is he the ruler, but he is also an intercessor because as a child of God, he intercedes for you and I from the heavenlies, sitting at the right hand of the majesty on high. Jesus is superior as we see over all prophets in the Old Testament. He is the fulfillment of the scriptures, and he, is, he has completed it all. That's why we follow him and him alone. Not a religion, not a man or a priest or a pastor or anyone that represents of, a representation of God of teaching the word, but we keep our eyes on Jesus, the great Savior. Amen? Today we'll continue as we look at this because one of the things that you understand as a brand new believer um, and even as a non-believer, someone who doesn't even know God, understand something as you get older. When you're young, when you're a child, everything looks so big to you. It could be the smallest little thing and, and it's so huge to a child. But as you grow and you get older and you get bigger, what happens to that same place or that same situation or scenario? It gets smaller. I mean, it gets bigger. I mean, sorry. It gets smaller as you get older. So when you're a child, I remember going back home and seeing my grade school, that, that kindergarten through sixth grade. That school was huge. I go there now and I look at it and go, that's such a small little school back then. But it was, the halls were so big. The, the classrooms were so big. And I always know that as a child who comes to this church, they see this place is so big. But when you get older, you don't see it quite so big, do you? But, but it's not the same when it comes to the Lord. When you come into a relationship with God, He seems not so big to you. Regardless of your age. 
But as you spend time with him and get to know who he is and who God is, and as you study his word and you, he reveals himself more and more as you spend time with him, your God, my God, gets what? Bigger. It gets, he gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And you realize as you grow, you never exhaust of who our God is. He's the Alpha and Omega. He is so huge. He's the, he's the beginning and the end. As you spend time, you'll never come to a point where you think you've already figured out God or you know God to a T and you don't need to study his word or spend time talking. Oh, we got to have a conversation if you're having those kind of conversations in your head because something's not right. You must be brand new here because I assure you, as you study the word of God, book by book, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, you will walk away just absolutely blown. Your mind will be blown. How big our God that we, that we serve. Amen? But let me even add one more thing to that. You'll come to realize this huge God that we serve, you will understand how much he loves you. That the God of the universe loves you. That's amazing grace. Amazing love. Now according to Deuteronomy chapter 33 verse 2, it would seem as though angels play a huge part in these days even back then, but even still today, people on the subject of angels seem to dominate their thoughts. Now, in the days here, we see in Deuteronomy 33, 2, why they, the Jewish faith, these Jewish believers who were being coerced to walk away from this this new relationship with Jesus and to go back into Judaism, go back into these religious practices, these religious ways, they were caught up in even angelic items or the studying of angels or angelology. It's a study of angels because even back then we see that God used angels to bring about and to minister to people. But if you know Deuteronomy 33.2, we see that it looks like that God went on the top of Mount Sinai, used thousands of angels to bring to Moses the law. And so because of the fact that the Jewish faith is so heavy on the law, that they saw that God used angels, many angels, to bring about the message to Moses to give to his people about the law, that they started highlighting angels as being very important. So the writer of Hebrews, who's writing to the Hebrews, has to address something very specific, and that is, Jesus is superior to all. He is the great Savior, and He is the exalted one, and He is above all, even angels. And we will see that here today in the rest of chapter 1. He addresses the issues about not worshiping angels, but you must keep your eyes on worshiping the superior one, Jesus Christ, the exalted Son. Now as we take a look at this, we know, we see examples that God used. He used it to bring the law to Moses. We saw that it started using angels back in the Garden of Eden. 
If you remember, Eve and Adam went awry. They were disobedient. And God had to kick them out of the Garden of Eden because of their sin. Who did he use to put a guard at the door so they could not get back into the garden? An angel. An angel was used to keep Adam and Eve from being able to go back into the Garden of Eden. We then see in Genesis chapter 18, Abram. Abraham as we refer to him now but at the time Abram in Mamre he was sitting there and what happened who did God use to reveal God to, to, to Abram at the time well we see that three men show up and start talking to Abram as he's sitting there by the out in his tent and if you remember, one of them was Jesus Christ himself, the, one of his first uh, Christophanies where he's revealing himself in the flesh there in, in front of Abram to speak to him. But he had two other guys with him, or in this case, two angels with him to bring a message. Then we see that God used in the story of Lot and his family who were wrapped up in the worldliness of Sodom and Gomorrah. A wicked city of Sodom. God sent his angels to go down and to go into, um, into Sodom and to get Lot and his family out. And at one point they were so struggling about leaving the worldliness and the wickedness and the perversion of that world. The angels had to pick them up and move them out and get them out of there before God came and brought wrath down and destroyed Sodom because it was so perverted. Then we see the story about Balaam. Do you remember Balaam in, in Kings? Where Balaam and the donkey, it's one of our favorites, it's one of the favorite ones for the kids, right? Because in there we see that the donkey is not moving. There's a wall to the left and to the right, and Balaam is just beating that donkey. Keep going, keep moving. And the donkey was not going to move. And then God allowed the donkey to what? To speak to Balaam. Oh, that would have been a moment, isn't it? You imagine your, your animal is not being cooperative and all of a sudden God allows the animal to speak to you what he wants been speaking to you his whole life he's been living in your house. Can you imagine your animal speaking to you? I think it would shock some of you. It would probably bring you to your knees, some of you. And what you were saying and how you say things and treat your animal, Right? But we know through the story that he said, <laughs> not, only, not only does the donkey speak to him, but Balaam turns around and speaks back to the donkey. You know, that tells you, that's a, you understand this is a serious moment here. But he says, he reveals to him the fact that the donkey sees another dimension that Balaam couldn't see. What most people don't understand because you don't study the scriptures, but not you, you guys study the scriptures. We go through the entire 66 books. So you know the scripture, that there is another dimension that is around us that you do not see. You don't understand that God says where two or more gather together, he, Jesus, is present in this place. We may not see him physically, but he's here. You have to understand who ministers to Jesus and ministers to you and I. You may have a guardian angel watching over you right now in this place in a dimension you cannot see. Because right now you can't see it, but you will 
you and I will see that dimension and see the angelic dimension that we do not see today. Now, for some of you, I assure you, I think you probably have two or three guardian angels over you because you're a mess. They're like on full time, 24-7 around you. Now, I don't ask for an angel, but I will take God if I need an angel or a whole legion of angels to watch over me, to keep me from Satan to touching my life. I will accept everything. Now, that's a very exciting thing to think about for some of us, that you would have an angel or angels watching over you. Many have told me their stories of seeing an angel. Many have talked about how that angel protected them, and they have, many people have had and understand and have stories about that. But for some of you who are not right with the Lord, or having given your life to Jesus Christ, that brings fear in your life. Why? Because you realize you're not by your, you're not alone. When you think you're doing things in secret, there might be an angel watching over everything you're saying and doing. Now that would bring a sobering aspect to your mind, does it not? That God would send one of his angels to minister to you, to keep you from going astray and doing things you should not be doing? Oh, please, Lord, if it, if it takes two or three angels, please. I don't want to do anything that doesn't please you in what I say and do. And I need all the help I can get. <laughs> God sent me an angel as my wife. You know, I always say, God said, you're an angel. In the form of an angel, I'll take, I'd like the blue eyes are definitely angelic, so I want to marry you. You know, it's one of those things. And I realized she's not an angel, so I don't worship her. We don't worship angels. We only worship who? We only worship Jesus. Angels are great. Angels are good who are on God's side. And then we know in the story that Lucifer, the devil, Satan, had a following for him, too, when he rebelled with pride. And there's demonic angels as well. Demonic forces, principalities, and darkness of this world we know. Those I want nothing to do with. We'll talk about that more later. But we see that Balaam and the donkey, and they're going back and forth and back and forth. And God then reveals and opens up Balaam's eyes to see the, the, the angel keeping Balaam on the donkey of going out and getting slaughtered. And the angel even said, yeah, I would have killed you if you kept going. The donkey and everyone could see the legion of angels the, the, covering the mountainsides to protect. Just because you can't see them now doesn't mean they're not there. So many people rely upon what they see and not the understanding of God's word and faith. Then we see the fact that we see an angel take out 185,000 Syrian troops in one night. Just one angel. We don't know the name of the angel. Maybe it's Tom the angel. Thomas is there. He's out there taking care of business. But he took out 185,000 Syrian troops. And he's not even referred to as the archangel. Michael, 
Imagine the power that God gives angels to take care of the business. We see in the tabernacle, the Holy of Holies. When they built it, if you remember when we studied that, and when they made the fabrics and, and, the, and the curtains to create the walls and stuff, what was weaved into the fabric of the tabernacle? Do you remember? Images of angels. Why? Because a tabernacle was a picture, a depiction of what was taking place in heaven. And angels surround the throne and they're worshiping God. We see that. We even see the two cherubim on the top of the mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant overseeing what? The fact that God is protecting or ministering in that way. We continue, we see it also in Isaiah 6, verses 1 through 3. In the year of King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim, another form of angelic being. Each one had six wings, with two he covered his face, and two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Oh, isn't it going to be incredible when we get to heaven? Oh, it's going to be beautiful. It's going to be absolutely breathtaking. You know, you, for some of you who are maybe just getting started in this Christian walk, you know this story. Do you know the story of Daniel? In the lion's den? Every kid knows that story. Matter of fact, they can tell it better than most adults. But what happened? He got thrown into the lion's den. And what do we see in Daniel 6.22? The king comes back and says, Daniel, Daniel, are you alive? Did the lions eat you? Oh, my God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouths so that they have not hurt me because I was found innocent before God the Father, him, right? And also you, O king, I have done no wrong before you. When you live a life that is pleasing to the Father, you're pleasing and doing what you're to do, even with your bosses and what you're doing in a regular time. Their enemy will come after you, but the, he just may send angels to shut the mouths of those around you to protect you. Oh, I want that. I need all the protection I can get. I hope you too. In the New Testament... We see another angel named Gabriel that God used as an announcement of the birth of Jesus to Mary. He also used the angels to go out and tell the shepherds out in the field of the glory of the Messiah has come, the Savior of the world. So God uses angels. We see it throughout the scriptures and he still uses them today. So Hebrews chapter 1, verse 4, we see, we pick back up where Jesus is so much better than these angels as we will see because there's going to be a comparison that's made here by the author of Hebrews. And he says, having become so much better than the angels as he has been inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. 
We see the description of Jesus in those previous verses, in in, in verses 2 and 3. And these verses show his superiority, his better, his greatness of, of over even angelic beings. Yet this tells us that Jesus became better than the angels. What does that mean? We could say that he is eternally better than the angels, but he's also became better than the angels. Why? Because we will see in chapter 2, verse 10, that Jesus became better in the sense that he became perfect, complete, as our Redeemer through sufferings. Something no angel ever had to do or can or understand that would need to do. Only Jesus would be able to be the one that would be the Lamb of God who would take away the sins through suffering on the cross. The angels didn't know everything. They are not all knowledgeable. They're seeing this played out in the angelical realm saying... Father sending his son to the Holy Spirit is the helper. And he's, they're just watching this all played out. They're just being ministers or sent out by God to do what God's called to do. But they don't have the big picture and understanding. But we know here in the scripture that Jesus has the more excellent name than they. What is the name that is being referred to? I believe he's referring to very specifically the son, the name son, we will see here in the verses. But let me tell you what the scripture says about Jesus, his name, and who the name represents, or the character, or the nature of this name. It says in Matthew 1.21, She will bring forth, Mary will bring forth a son. And you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Matthew 1.25, brought forth her firstborn son, and he's, he called his name Jesus. Luke 2.21, his name was called Jesus, and the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. John 20, verse 31, and by these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. That verse alone will change your entire eternally, eternal life if you believe in the name of Jesus Christ and who he is. And that he is the Son of God. You can have eternal life with him. Acts 2, verse 38. And then Peter said to them, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remissions of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So who is Jesus? The Father calls him Son. Why? Because he's the exalted Son. Jesus' superior name, which is not merely a title, is not just some description of, his, of, of just nature and character, but even more than that, that he is exalted, that he is surpassing the excellence of his name, Jesus, and setting him afar above in a position that no angel could be placed at. How do we know that? Well, we see there in verse 5. For to which of the angels did he, God the Father, ever say, you are my son? Today I have begotten you. And again, 
I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. So here in the scripture, the writer says, no angel ever heard the words coming out of the father, the heavenly father, you are my son. Only one do you hear, you are my son, as we see here in the scripture. Now, some of you are going to say, well, I think I've heard or I've read where he's, it's, uh, the angels are referred to as the sons of God. Only two places in the scripture do you see that. One of them being Job chapter 1, verse 6, where you receive the reference to these angels as sons of God. But you have to understand the scripture. There's only two places where there's a plurality in the language that refers to the angels as sons of God. But you never see in the scripture where an angel individually, singularly, that's called son. Only in plurality. Because the uniqueness of that name, son, belongs to Jesus Christ and him and him alone. Now the words here, he, the writer here says, today I have begotten you, is important words for some of you right now. And I'll take some time on this because some of you may have come from the Jehovah Witness background or the Mormon background. And this verse is used quite often by them to try to depict that Jesus is not the Son of God. He's not God himself. But we see here today, if I have begotten you here, is the word begotten speaks of equality or equalness or in substance and essence of nature between the father and the son. A cultist, a heretic who says that Jesus is not God in the flesh uses this scripture. Why? Because the Jehovah Witnesses teach that Jesus is the brother of the archangel Michael. So they only see Jesus as an angel. The Mormons, if you press them, they don't like to say it often because scripturally we can prove that they're incorrect. So they don't press this. But if you press on a, a Mormon of who they think Jesus is, they will come to the point that they believe Jesus is the brother of Lucifer, Satan himself. And that, that Lucifer and, 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 and uh, Jesus, they were arguing over how they were going to deal with this humanity crisis with Adam and Eve going awry. And so the father decided the best plan was Jesus' plan, and Lucifer lost it and was prideful, and he, you know, blah, 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 blah. Not accurate. Not scriptural. Jesus is superior to angels. It's very clear in the scriptures, and it's a key doctrine that you must understand because Jesus is not the same category of an angel. He, they're not even in the, in the category, let alone in the same conversation. Why? Because Jesus, the Father, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit are all above his creation. And angels are just created beings. He is the exalted Son. Now we see here in the scriptures that as we take a look here in verse 6, but when he again brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all the angels of God worship him. So clearly we see 
that Jesus is God. Why? Because he brings his firstborn, Jesus Christ, into the world. And he says, let all the angels of God worship him. No angel would worship a creation. Only the creator. So you use these verses for those who say Jesus is just an angel. They would not worship themselves. He there only will be able to worship the creator. Who, that's who Jesus is. God in the flesh. The exalted son. Superior because he is the object of the angelic worship. Not the angelic worshiper. In verse 7 he says. And of the angels he says who makes his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire. Which speaks to God made angels as ministers to for him and to you, as we will see at the end of chapter 1. But here, this quote that is made throughout these verses, you will notice they're in quotations. These are quotes from the Old Testament, as we will see. We will see that the fact that Psalm 2-7 and Samuel 7-14 addressed verses, uh, verse, verse 5. In verse 6, we're going to see the same thing in the fact that this verses 6 and 7, speaking of Psalm 104-4, and that is God has brought and raised or created angels to minister, not only to him, but for you and I, and it's and it's, and it's a spirit. Angels do not have bodies. They can come across or be seen as an earthly body when they come to present themselves in, into, in front of us, into our eyes. So they can take on that humanistic characteristics of a body when they're, or form when they're ministering on earth. You know in the scriptures you could at times be actually entertaining an angel and you don't even know it. I know at least of two occurrences where I know there's no question in my mind they were angels that God brought to minister to me or to deal with the situation at hand. And I said, Lord, that was an angel that I was just entertaining. And again, some of you may have had those experiences that God allowed but the angels God has created are spirits. They do not have bodies unless they're coming to on this earth to minister to you. And they will take on a human form to be able to minister to us. Verse 8. We see here, again, we're going to see the Father himself calls Jesus, not any angel, but Jesus, God We'll call him Lord or Yahweh here. And it's referencing Psalm 45, verse 6 and 7, and Psalm 102, verses 25 through 27. It says in verse 8, But to the Son, he says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. So for you having those who come to your door and they knock on your door and they say they're Jehovah Witnesses. This is the verse that you would use to speak to them that Jesus is not an angel, but Jesus is God. 
Because we see real clearly in the scripture here that the son, he says, your throne, O God. So the father is telling, saying to the son, Jesus, this is your throne, O God, forever and ever. The scepter, you're a ruler, the scepter of righteousness. You will be dealing with unrighteousness. You were going to lay out the justice of righteousness to all around. This is your kingdom. So you will want to bring this back to, oh, your throne, oh God. This makes the very plain, very clear, that Father calls the Son God. And you would want to take notes of that for sure. Now, the Jehovah Witness, if they've been trained up well enough, they will take you then say, well, uh, but what, what, what about Psalm 82? Psalm 82 refers to them being uh, of, a, of a, a being or angels being gods and, 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 and such as Satan and in reference of that and earthly judges. And it goes in these conversations around like a circle. But if you understand, it's a small g in the scripture, not a capital G. Capital G refers to deity. But these others, supposed gods, are pretenders to be, in this, uh, to be on this throne. And Jesus is not the true God. He is a false God, is what they're trying to say. Like Satan and the wicked judges in Psalm 82. That's who Jesus is. He's just not God in the, in the flesh. But you have to understand what Psalm 82 is saying. He's referring, as you continue to read, most of the time they'll stop on verse 1. But if you read all the way through, even into verse 6, you will see that he's addressing the wickedness of false teachers, the wickedness of false gods, not, God, not Jesus himself. But Jesus is the true and living God, called here by God the Father. And you must highlight and understand that. After that conversation of here in verse 8 and verse 9, and then dealing with Psalm 82, take him to thou Revelation chapter 1 and take him through Revelation chapter 1 of who Jesus is. And it will lead you to the conversation that Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And usually if you take him to that point, you can take him certainly to John chapter 1 verse 1, that Jesus is the word. Then you can take it to when Thomas is addressed in, in John chapter 20 verse 28. And have that part of the discussion with them. And then take them in the scriptures to, that Paul addresses it in Titus 2.13 and Titus 3.4. And all of that will come to a conversation at the very end. You will realize, A, do you now believe that Jesus is the son of God? I just proved it to you in the scriptures that, that he is the son of God. Because many people will say, nowhere in the scriptures does Jesus say that he's the son of God. Nowhere in the scriptures. Well, if you know the scriptures, you know clearly that he is complete, many multiple places that Jesus is referred to what? The son of God. God in the flesh. The Messiah. And so you just need to know the scriptures and bring them through this and get them over this whole thing that they've been taught and been deceived that Jesus is just an angel. That is false. 
Verse 9. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God has anointed you. Do you see that verbiage? Therefore, God, he's calling Jesus God. Therefore, God, your God, the Heavenly Father, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your, your companions. You see the interaction between God the Father, God the Son, and the God the Holy Spirit, which is the anointing of the oil. That's a representation or a picture of the Holy Spirit is the oil. You see that God is working, the Trinity of God is working just in these verses alone of who Jesus is, the exalted one, the exalted Son. In verse 10, And you, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth. The heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain, and they will all grow old like a garment, like a cloak. You will fold them up, and they will be changed. But you are the same, and your years will not fail. So not only is the Son not only called God here, but he's also referred to as the Lord, which is Yahweh. Then the Son is described with certain attributes here through these verses and terms used that only belong to God and God himself. Look at him. You, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth. That speaks to the fact that he's the creator. They will perish and you will remain. That means that he is self-existent. He's always existed. He always will exist. That only God can be that way. You will be like a cloak. You will fold them up and they will be changed. It talks about his sovereignty. God, you will never change. Jesus will never change. He will be the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. He is the one that we follow. He's our Savior, and He will never change on you. Your, heavenly, your earthly father may change. Your, your earthly mother may change. Your, your situations and all kinds of things will change in your life. But the Savior you follow that gives you eternal life who sits at the right hand of the majesty on high and intercedes for you, will never change. Why? Because he becomes our foundation in our life. The reason why people are emotionally unstable today is because they do not have the foundation in who their great Savior and the exalted one is in their life. And I understand, you're a Christian, yes. But if you don't understand the scriptures and believe the scripture and apply the scripture, you can become unstable emotionally just like someone who doesn't know Jesus. Are you with me? That's why I want to encourage you. You must take these truths and you must meditate on these truths because when you understand who your God is, the one who is in, came in the flesh and saved your soul for eternity. That you can trust him with your life. That he is superior to all, even these angels. 
It should bring a foundation and stability in your life emotionally, physically, and spiritually. If you're not there yet, keep showing up regardless of how you feel. Because as you continue to be fed the word of God, as you go home and you study and continue to read the word of God, and you continue to talk to God about these things that are going on in your life, you'll become so stable, so solid, then you become vessels that can be used to help others. Did you know that? You'll be able to turn around and God will work his power through your life to touch your family's life, your children, your neighbors, your co-workers. Your life will be so used by God that will bring such glory to God. You will not be able to contain it. We see here in verses 13 and 14 as we wrap this up. It speaks of Psalm 110 verse 1. But to which of the angels has he ever said? When did God the Father ever say this to an angel anywhere? What is it? Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Did he ever say that? No. Verse 14, are they not all ministering spirits set forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation? So the last two questions that he, the writer here of he, to the Hebrews, these Jewish believers, he says he leaves them this two questions for them. For those who you get wrapped up into the angels and you've got angels all over your house and you've got places you can go order all kinds of angels and somehow they, they seem to minister to you. That little thing on the wall is an idol. You don't worship that. I want you to understand that angels are good. They're not bad unless they're following Lucifer, Satan himself. They will all be locked up. It's only a due time. But God's angels that he has appointed over you. You note in the scripture, the only one in the scripture is an archangel, a warrior. And that is Michael. Some believe maybe Gabriel was, and he, but he's never in the scripture talked about as being an archangel, a warrior for God who goes, and we see in the scripture, fighting, combating that we don't see, combating in the heavenlies against Satan and Lucifer and, and demonic forces. Who's appointed over Jerusalem, over Israel. At no point did the Father say to them, you angels, you sit to the right-hand side of me. They were never put in a position of authority. Only Jesus Christ, the exalted Son, sits at the right-hand side of the majesty on high. The one who we worship, the one who has saved us, the one who intercedes and helps us, dispatches maybe even his angels to come and to minister to you. Why? Because he loves you. 
That is how God has set his realm up. And at the very end, he says right there, and not all, all the angels, they're all they're ministering spirits sent forth to what? To minister to those who will inherit salvation. Who is he speaking to? You and I as believers. So the promise that I have when I read this is that if you're a believer, God uses angels to come and minister to you. If you're not a believer, I don't see in the scripture you have that same promise that God will send an angel to minister to you. I don't see that as clear. Here I see it clear. If you're, if you're a believer, God has an angel possibly for you. For some, maybe many. That's why I tell when we were in the heat of the, the time when we started this ministry, for the first few years, we were in a war. And many people, many warriors were being sent overseas. And many young men and women who would come and say, Pastor, I, I don't know, mentally, I'm not sure about going overseas and battle and what's going to happen. But I always reminded them, are you a believer in Jesus Christ? Yes. Do you trust him with your whole life? Yes. Then why do you think God would allow you to go overseas to push back the enemy and not give you everything you need to do what he's called you to do, including an angel? And I always bring him back to the scripture. He just needs one little tiny little angel who can wipe out 185 Syrian soldiers I assure you, you only need one angel. You know what I'm saying? Put your trust in God and God alone and allow him to bring the resources necessary to protect your life. Because remember, nothing touches your life unless it's been father filtered first. He is in control, my brothers and sisters. So when the light, this world starts falling apart and it is falling apart around us, keep looking up. Because the exalted son loves you and is keeping an eye on you.